happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 300, if you can believe that, for August the 2nd, 2023. My name is Wes Fryer. I'm coming to you from Matthews, North Carolina, where it was a lovely 79 degrees in our backyard as we were just enjoying a chimney of fire and uh, having a, a little beverage. And Man, it's like in the hundreds right now in the Midwest. So I'm very thankful to be here in North Carolina. And I am joined, as I have been for the past 300 episodes, by the EdTech Yoda of the North, the, the guru of all Google, AI, and, you know, it used to be Android, but now it's really the Apple fanboy stuff. It's Dr. Jason Neifer. Good evening, Dr. Fryer. Yes, I am in Missoula tonight. Uh, it is not 101 degrees. Right now it's 91 outside. Um, humidity although, humidity up there? No, not a ton. Um, so that makes it a little better than uh, our friends dealing with, with both. But the good news is, is that next week the highs are supposed to be in the 70s. So we will definitely take that. And um i'm spending some time with family next week in in my in my hometown and uh it's been really hot there and it's supposed to not only rain next week but the highs are only supposed to be in in, in the 70s so we're, we're pretty thrilled about that that is lovely what is the story of your your back uh your your, your background there oh I, I um uh this is an image from uh a long time ago time magazine that i just absolutely love um i used to put it on my my classroom syllabi when i used to teach and it's been my background uh, on and off and it was the first image i grabbed for tonight so you know if you tilt your head back and pretend i have 3d glasses on then uh i'm just joining the crowd so there you go there you go well if apple's vision pro was for sale i would think it was foreboding that you'd made a new purchase but Apparently, we're going to have to wait a while for those. So, yes, that's the the rumor I hear too. So, well, Wes, I guess maybe the the best way to ask this question is, what has the last two hundred and ninety nine episodes been all about? So, what can we expect tonight? Well, we are going to break down some of the past week's technology news, and we did take a summer hiatus for about a month, but we uh, always collect links, and you can find all those at edtechsr.com/links. And we try to shoot those through the educational prism and give some analysis for how these articles may impact us in schools and education, uh, sometimes as, you know, simply citizens and consumers and members of our society. But you are probably going to hear a lot about artificial intelligence uh, because it's, you know, we've we've dabbled with the idea of actually calling it the, the AI situation room or something. But the topics for tonight are AI, security, the tech correction or big tech. Social media, Google, Apple, miscellaneous, and our geeks of the week. But as usual, we have more AI articles than anything. So, Dr. Neifer, where would you like to begin tonight's discussion? Well, it is, is pretty hard to ignore the um, the EdTech stuff. Why don't we start with maybe some, I'm sorry, the EdTech stuff, the AI stuff, which it, unfortunately those two words become synonymous. Let's maybe start off with, um, so many links tonight, Dr. Fryer. Um uh, let's let's do some just good old fashioned uh, ed tech stuff. Let's start off with some Google news. I got a couple articles from last week too that I want to talk about. Um, the first one is this is from about Chromebooks um, on August twenty fourth. Uh, Kevin Tofel's uh, blog about Chromebooks, and he has an early look at the Microsoft three sixty five Chromebook integration. And one of the things that uh, will be available here pretty quick is. Um, 
um, a, a, a plugin. I, well, I don't, I don't think it's a plugin, actually. I think it's just a feature set inside of um, uh, Google that you can do some clicking on that allows you to take Microsoft 365 and basically make it native in your Chromebook. And so that means a couple of different things. First, you'll be able to sort through files uh, on your OneDrive. So your, your Microsoft OneDrive, like you can um, Google Drive, which I think is a really a good and clever way to do that. And then um, it will integrate it to a point to where you can just double click a, a Microsoft Office file, so Word file, PowerPoint, Excel, et cetera, and it will natively open in the web app um, for the Microsoft 365 product. And the, uh, I believe that Mr. Tofel uh, talks a little bit about the notion of this being attractive to schools that might want the cheap Chromebook or the cheap and easily managed Chromebook model, but you uses uh, Office 365. That's maybe some of it. And I know, uh, in fact, I know some districts that have tried some um, pretty, pretty uh, clever and hacky things to, to, to meld those two uh, systems together. Uh, one uh, district I used to work in actually had Chromebooks and they would open, you would open it up and it would go into kiosk mode and automatically send you to a Microsoft 365 login and then you could do all of your work from there. But then, you know, you lost the integration of, of the sync of the Chromebook and that sort of thing, but you'd still get to all your OneDrive stuff, for example. So there's been a lot of ways around that, but I think it's an interesting development. And even though lately I've been, you know, back in in, in Mother Apple's lap in regards to uh, kind of loving the ecosystem, and I, we haven't talked a lot about um, my trip to Europe uh, on the podcast, but one of the things that I, I I did have to work a little bit while I was there, not to mention I am super interested in. Um, you know, kind of traveling with tech. I think that's something that I both enjoy doing and I'd like to have my stuff with me, but being in the Apple ecosystem was amazing because it meant that I had my iPad, my MacBook Air M1 and my iPhone and everything worked together. And, um, you know, I, I like we talked about last week, I was using international SIM cards for data and I could just one click on my Mac or my iPad and get access to my phone's internet. So I was never without any internet access. It's just really amazing that ecosystem. But that said, um, I do think Chromebooks keep getting more and more functional and I like to pick up my Chromebook I should say Chromebooks, Chromebook often, um, um, because it's still, I think, a really, really great productive platform. Absolutely. Well, for those districts that are, you know, have made the, continue to make the commitment or made the commitment to, to Microsoft and, and Microsoft products, I think that, you know, this is really great news. And kudos to Microsoft for making the shift, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the CEO. Um, Sundar Pichai. No, no, no. That's that's Google. Is it Padella? The Microsoft. Uh, no, Padella. Yeah, I mean, when he made that shift uh, a number of years ago to really try to be platform agnostic in terms of Microsoft Office and 365, I think that was a visionary move um, because honestly, it's the uptake of Chromebooks in 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 K twelve is just phenomenal and and really unprecedented. And I I mean, things shift all the time and it's changing landscape, but. You know, I think that Google is going to continue to have a dominant footprint in the device field for K-12 schools. So it makes total yeah. sense for Microsoft to, to be able to do this. And, um, you know, I think that I, I, for a lot of th I do love the, the Apple ecosystem a lot. I make no, no uh, mistakes about that. But I, I think that being able to be platform agnostic 
uh, and being able to have robust functionality on whatever device you happen to be on, you know, is a wonderful thing. And that's something that the web has brought us and, you know, good for Microsoft. So I will personally not be experiencing this because my school is not a 365 school. We're a Google school. Um, but I'm glad to see this. And I think it's a positive move. And again, shout out to Kevin Tofel. We talk about him almost every episode. And if you don't follow his about Chromebooks uh, and you're involved in educational technology, you really need to track with him because he's yeah. on top of everything and one of the best sources of updated information. Great. And you want to cover that other article about Google and AI? Sure. Um, this one, or is this the Google Home one? Um, the Google officially removing download bar. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is interesting. I guess Google has had um, a lot of feedback over the years about, uh, you know, how basically it takes up some screen real estate whenever you download something and have this little bar down there. I know it can be confusing in, in some respects. I mean, I've gone through this with, with my wife at times, like, okay, don't click it, you know, click the arrow and then open it in the finder, you know, so you open it in preview or whatever. If it's up, sometimes it's better for printing and stuff like that. So now when you download things, it basically looks a lot like Safari. If you're familiar with using Mac OS Safari, uh, where you're up, you know, in the upper right corner. Um, and so it's called a tray UI. And so it's a little arrow next to your, um, your, uh, I guess this, this shows it next to the user icon. Um, but anyway, you can see all your downloads, I think, from the last, I don't know if it's 30 days or whatever, but you can click to you know open them directly or to open up the location in the Finder if you're a Mac person or the file manager, whatever other computer you're on. Uh, and I mean, I saw this earlier this week and you know adjusted to it quickly. So it's kind of a small thing. But whenever you make a change within the Chrome browser or something like this, like downloading files, you know, then... Um, that's that, that affects a lot of people. And one thing that I'd mentioned as a side note, I'm trying to think of who's been someone, um, Christy Vin, Vinsdale has been posting on, on Facebook. She, she doesn't have a public profile, so I can't reshare, but she's given some great tips, um, like just today about ed tech, like, Hey, do yourself a favor in Google drive. If you're a teacher, make a 22, 2023-24 folder, and then just start putting everything in there. You know, you'll, you'll thank yourself later. Um, and something I would kind of add along those similar lines is look at your downloads folder if it, for whatever computer you have, because it is, as I was a tech director for four years and, you know, worked with a lot of folks and their computers, a large number of people like never delete things that are in their downloads folder. And there are some people that real, don't realize the downloads folder is designed to be a temporary storage location. And so when you're going to keep something, you really want to move it into your documents. The downloads folder is not backed up, for instance, to iCloud Drive. Um, and so from a backup and, and you know security standpoint, as far as being hacked or having something happen to your, your laptop and your device, you're, you're safest to do that. And then it's also just part of good laptop hygiene. So that's not in the article, but there's a little extra freebie tip for you. So had you noticed this yourself, Jason, using Chrome? Yes, I have, as a matter of fact, and it's certainly, in, it's certainly an interesting development. Um, um, and uh, browsers in general, I, well, I mean, you know, we're a couple of old nerds, so, you know, we've been around the browser business for a while. Um, I, in general, I still feel like Chrome is the best option um, although there are good reasons to use Firefox and then some of the upstarts, uh, I think we talked about Arc, 
um, a couple of times earlier this year, which I still have installed and I like a little bit. Uh, it's 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 too it's it's too three dimensional for me uh, to fully wrap my brain around. I might be able to do it if I worked it in a while, but um, just remember, your browser is maybe your most important piece of software in 2023, and you're using it more than you ever have. Um, and chances are, if you're on your computer, you're on your browser. So good upkeep of that and keeping an eye on the, the evolution of the tools, I think it's really important. Um, not to necessarily segue us to AI, but this is a Google article, and I debated whether to put it under under uh, AI or uh, or Google, and I did AI. Um, but the headline here from The Verge, uh, this was July 31st, Google will supercharge Assistant with yeah. AI that's more like ChatGPT and Bard. And so I think this is a, an extremely positive development. Um, I don't think that I've necessarily seen a downgrade in the Google Assistant, but it definitely seems to have plateaued in terms of what it can do. And now that, that many of us have been interacting with ChatGPT and Claude, I guess you've been enjoying that, um, you know, I think our expectations of what an, an, an interaction with an algorithm can not only look and feel like, but you know yeah. what the actual results can be. So I think this is positive. They've got hundreds of people working on Assistant. It says they're laying off dozens, um, but it's a pretty significant change. Of course, the whole thing about hallucinations <laughs> and whether or not you know how they're going to be able to address that when the AI assistant will invent things. Um, you know, that that's that's a significant issue. And I've heard Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google himself, say, you know, no one solved this. This appears to be a common element of large language models, which is the basis for ChatGPT and these other kinds of, of AI systems. So uh, I know that you, Dr. Neifer, are going with the HomePod. And I don't know, I guess I can throw this in as well. Yeah, this is a rumor. So this isn't an announcement, but we have one article under the Apple. Uh, no sign Apple will launch generative AI in 2024. And this is yep. from 9to5Mac. And this is a rumor um, from a guy named Ming Chu Kyu, who predicts things that I guess is very you know accurate in his predictions. But what are your thoughts? Are you are you gonna just dump the home pod and go back full on <laughs> to the Google home uh, with with you know chat GBT or with Bard, I guess, coming on board? Uh, no, we're I think we're gonna go all in on home pods because of ecosystem and my my wife is 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 an Apple user. She has a an iPhone and and um, you know I, I do think there's absolutely something to the whole notion of um, being on the same system. I think ecosystem matters more than ever has been. And I also feel like too, that that the alternative, well, I, 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 Siri's not very good. And I wanna talk about that separately in a second. Um, Siri's not great. Uh, and I also think Siri's been going down in quality as well. Um, in fact, when I talk to Siri on um, either my HomePod or um, uh, I should say one of my HomePods because I have a, a bigger one and a couple smaller ones now. And um, when I talk to it, it, it doesn't seem to be uh, as functional. And there have been times when I've asked my phone to do something that I know it used to be able to do and it says it can't do that. And so I think the it functionality has... has been dramatically decreasing um, in the past, I would say, two years or so is when I started noticing it. But the other comment I want to make about the Google piece is that uh, so I, uh, I 
actually did a study on intelligent personal assistance in 2018, or 18, well, I should say 16, 17, 18. I think that the study was actually called a dissertation, was it not? Yes, it was my doctoral dissertation, uh, as a matter of fact. And it's so funny because uh, one of the reasons why my chair and I uh, picked this topic was that I wanted to do a study that was an early look at something, right? I wanted to be early in the conversation. And as a matter of fact, I was early in the conversation. I had one of the few, um, you know, legit research studies in the space of intelligent personal assistance. And so my, my dissertation has been quoted in 12 other journals now, and that's pretty cool. And that's really uh, cool. You know, and it's, it's, and then it got included on a meta study on, um, on intelligent personal assistance. And so, so cool stuff, but, one of the things that I, I argued in my chapter five of my dissertation in, in 2018 was that one of the reasons why, and my data suggested that it didn't have a lot of impact on engagement for students. And that's just one measure of a classroom for sure. And I know engagement for some people in 2023 is, is, is kind of a controversial word. Um, but what I would say is that that one of the things that I noticed or, or I, I supposed as, as, as part of my wonderings in chapter five, and I also, um, this was not as part of the context of my study, but just conversations that I was having with students and teachers in the study, um, you know, they suggested to me that they just weren't finding as much use out of Siri as, as um, perhaps they, um, they estimated, you know, based on the, the context of, of our training and the study. And I, you know, sought that thought that too, right? Like, there's just something to that, um, that notion of using um, uh, an intelligent personal assistant as a study tool, and I think that could change fairly dramatically with ChatGPT. I just think it's such a such a different um, a model, and it's just so much more functional. But in the reasons why, you know, you're saying Wes that. Um, um, uh, that it can hallucinate. It's 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 it, it hallucinates, and it doesn't seem in any way conflicted by doubt. Um, <laughs> I describe it as an extra confident middle schooler. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, there's there's no doubt in ChatGPT mind that's right. And once in a while, it, it it may talk itself into a perspective like, well, you know, you should you should find out more about this, or you should contact an expert on this, or you should do X, Y, and Z. I think that's interesting, but it doesn't really answer the question of, you know, what do we do in the meantime of, um, of uh, if we hook this up to an intelligent personal system like platform, what does that ultimately mean? So, uh, yeah, very interesting, I think, um, watching these tools get integrated into other existing tools. And I actually got my haircut today and visiting with my, my hairstylist. I mean, this year is the is the the only year that we've ever had you know kids and and teachers come back to school where everyone has free access to an ai chatbot i really think this is a societal game changer it's a school game changer if we are not talking about ChatGPT, Claude, Bard, yep. these tools, yep. and trying to get a little in front of this proactively. How are you going to handle this in terms of academic plagiarism? What are you going to do? What kind of guidelines as an individual teacher? And then what are your school's guidelines? This is really, really important. So I think that it's exciting. I think it's good. It's challenging. Uh, it's going to be disruptive. There's yes. going to be a lot of hand-wringing. Uh, but I think that you know, 
Well, yeah, people don't know whether it's going to be an existential threat in civilization. So, you know, the jury's out on that. But in terms of our immediate near-term impacts, it certainly is going to give us great opportunities to talk about, you know, media literacy, verifying sources, verifying information, attributing our sources, like being academics, doing the things we're supposed to do. We learn stuff. We cite our sources. We use different tools. Um, so I think it's I think it's very positive overall, but I do not think it's going to be seen as positive by a large number of educators and perhaps parents. And I think it's essential that we do what we can to get in front of it. And I think last week as a Geek of the Week, there's a conference, a free AI in education conference. Um, and I've got that as a Geek of the Week from last week uh, that I'm going to attend on Monday. And I'm excited to, to hear what those experts and gurus have to say about it. What, yeah. would, what would your advice be, Jason, to the, the classroom teacher or the school administrator facing the prospect of AI in, in this coming week? You should ask that, Dr. Fryer, because I did speak to um, the Montana uh, Administrator uh, Institute last week. And so on this on the topic of, of generative AI, and um, it's probably my sixth or seventh presentation on it uh, this year, and I've got four more in the next six weeks uh, in, in Montana, too. Uh, and, and part of my goal here is that, um, you know, I, I know the typical teacher and administrator doesn't have uh, the interest to spend the time to deepen themselves in these tools in a way that I think probably should be a part of a part of, of, of their strategy. And then I would even go into a, a second note to say that this would be a lot easier if we were fighting so many other battles right now in education, right? The teacher shortage, the post-pandemic, uh, uh, a student uh, learning uh, uh, challenges, you know, all the things that- The that culture are, the culture war culture and all the pressures that come from book bans and all these things. Yeah, yeah. If, if we didn't have to deal with that other stuff, I think this conversation would look a lot different, but as it turns out, we have to deal with the stuff. So- um, but the, the advice that I've given is that first, I do think that everyone owes themselves the opportunity to sit down and use ChatGPT. Even if you only spend 20 minutes on it, I think just spending a few minutes playing with the tool is going to give you a really important perspective on what it does. Because there's just so much notion right now about how magical it is in a really undescript way. And until you sit down and use it for 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, I'm not entirely sure you're going to understand uh, uh, how functional uh, this model is becoming. Yeah. And I would add to that, which we've said before, query it repeatedly. And so do some iterative. Don't just be like, who was Anne Frank? <clears throat> but yeah. query it on topics that you have a good deal of expertise on and really challenge it, especially in terms of analysis and comparison and kind of come up with a very, you know, some kind of really creative writing prompt. Um, but just, you know, talk, ask it about an issue that, or, or a topic and, and area that you have a lot of expertise. And then you'll be able to better gauge, you know, the accuracy and whether it's hallucinating or, or whatever. And my, my suspicion is that you're going to be impressed by that. In fact, that would be an ideal prompt if you were going to lead some professional development, even if it was going to be short with teachers to go ahead and ask teachers to bunch up, come up with prompts, and then together do that. And and I, I think part of the aha with that, we talk about sometimes needing to get beyond the fear factor, you know, with different technology tools, right. we need to get beyond the, oh my gosh, let's block and ban this. This is horrible. We really need to get beyond this because as a tool, 
this is like it, it, it can grant us superpowers with caveats in terms of hallucination and needing to verify, et cetera. But as I'm continuing to develop my coding curriculum for my middle schoolers, we're going to have something with generative AI. It might involve the Khan Academy set of tools. I haven't finalized that yet. That's going to be later in the semester. But I, do, I think we, we ignore this at our peril. And if we, and if we simply, you know, block and ban, we're really um, uh, failing to, you know, step up to the plate. And, and that's, that's not what we need to, that, that's not the extent of what we need to be doing to adequately address this and also try to understand and empower our teachers as well as our students to, to move forward because it's not every day. I mean, yes, we've got people all the time saying this is the latest and greatest thing, you know, since sliced bread, but there's a lot of really, really smart folks that are not prone to exaggeration when it comes to this, that have said, you know, this is a seismic change that's going to change almost everything in every field. So. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing I would also say, too, I really do think you need to start your school year with a policy around this. Right. And I know I have heard and, and I think this is a good argument, even though I think that ultimately this is still deficient for what you need that you know we already have a plagiarism policy. Well, I'm not entirely sure that you're going to be able to. Uh, especially in sticky situations, yeah. use your plagiarism and academic honesty policy in the way you think you're going to be able to, not the least of which is, is that, and I know this from, from, from my work at, at a distance learning program, people don't take the accusation of plagiarism. Well, parents uh, take that as a very, very um, uh, a big affront uh, to their, their students' ethics. And sometimes that leads to a, you know, it, it is age-appropriate behavior to test boundaries when you're 15, right? So, you know, that, that's one of the things in development that I'm not entirely sure uh, is as widely known as I wish it was. But the bottom line is, is that when kids cheat, it's not because they're bad people. It's because they're still engaged in frontal lobe development, right? Um, or the other thing that I also believe to be true about students that are engaged in in activities we might be, see as unsavory is that a lot of times it's they're desperate, right? They can't understand something and are afraid to ask. They get into a time crunch. They're overcommitted. They've got other distractions around. And yeah, I do think there are times when kids are kind of um, in, in a non-pleasant and productive way uh, being, you know, a little um, uh, 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 uh it's not about things, but the, the bottom line is, is that I think it's a much more complex conversation than, than plagiarism. And even if you have to change your policy once a month, I think this is happening this quickly. And I also think that the, the, the uh, education is going to have to evolve uh, in different directions to do that. So that's, that's the other thing I kind of say about that process. So. So before we fully segue into AI, I'd, I'd love to do a couple tech correction articles because there's some pretty, Pretty, uh, pretty big ones, if that's sure, right. Sure, let's go for it. Okay, so Reuters yesterday, August 1st, Meta starts blocking news in Canada over law on paying publishers. Oh my gosh. Um, we saw something happen in Australia in the last year, I think, uh, that ultimately led to some kind of a settlement. Part of the issue here is Facebook and Google um, are, are harvesting, they're, they're getting a ton of money off the backs of journalists. And so some different journalism organizations are mad and they want to be paid. 
Well, this law in Canada apparently says that if you include a link on your platform that you have got to pay. And one of the foundations, a cornerstone of the internet, of the World Wide Web, of the interactive global village that we live in is being able to have hyperlinks and linking to a lot of stuff. And there's been different controversies over this. I know that the EFF had written some things about deep linking because at one point there were different companies were saying, well, you have to link to our main website. You can't link all the way deep into our site or whatever. But I think this is terrible. Uh, I think that Canada is really on the wrong page with this. I definitely think and this is, I was listening to uh, two really great podcasts. I listened to the latest Twit podcast this week in tech from this past Sunday. And then I listened to Clockwise from Relay FM today. But I think it was on, um, I think it was actually on, on, on the Clockwise podcast when they were talking about this. Um, you know, taking a bunch of that content, like Google does sometimes with AMP and then removing ads or, you know, it's a little bit different if you're simply putting a hyperlink in. But this is an article I'm actually going to talk to my web design kids about because we've talked about this before and it's like the fracturization, the fragmentation of the web. Iran evidently is trying to have their own internet, you know, and we've know about the great firewall of China and Vladimir Putin, you know, blocking a lot of stuff and whatever. And so block <coughs> blocking is not unfamiliar. We have a lot of that going on in schools appropriately, but then we've also got things happening with nation states. But I think this trying to get, you know, companies to pay per link uh, really crosses a threshold. So your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one thing if all the content is on Facebook, but the only way that's the case is if the publisher is doing that themselves or some other third party is posting it, right? That's not really the way it works. And what I would also say is that I, I mean, I, our media system is, is completely destroyed, right? Like the internet has destroyed uh, the income revenue or income sources for basically most journalistic outlets, right? And classified so, classified ads got blown up quite yeah, a while. Yeah, classified ads got blown up. Uh, local newspapers have been blown up. Um, TV uh, local TV stations seem to be hanging on, and there are some creative efforts to have you know print journalists join up with like a TV station, for example, and you know share news resources. Um, in Montana, we have a, a small fraction of the journalists we used to covering uh, beats in the state, and um, uh, but I don't think it's because of social media linking to things. In fact, if anything, it's, 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 it's a, um, it's a, a, a driving engine for clicks onto your site. And that's why I don't really understand this whole concept is that, um, you know, it's not like they're reposting the content that would be, uh, confusing and frustrating unless they were doing it themselves. Right. This is an, it, it, uh, this drives traffic. It's an, it's an engine to drive traffic. And, I, the, I just don't understand uh, why uh, I, that particular, I, mean, I, I think we need a lot more regulation than we do, right? But I find that strategy to be very strange. Yeah. And uh, ho you know, hopefully they're going to find a, a different way to go around that. Because for the journalists in Canada that are not going to have their content linked anymore, um, you know, on these platforms, as well as for the citizens and, and consumers of the nation. Yeah. Um, another article that involves Meta from Ars Technica, also from yesterday on August 1st, Meta loses battle in EU, will ask for consent 
to show personalized ads. So we've talked quite a bit about the attention economy in which we live and you know data harvesting and how GDPR in Europe is really much more progressive than where we have in the United States, which is basically no federal privacy law. We have some laws in California, um, but we don't have any kind of federal privacy law at this point, although that's being proposed right now. Um, so this is going to, uh, part of the article says, and I thought this was really interesting, when uh, Cook, um, Tim Cook for Apple, um, was able to get on the iPhone a button that says, do you want to allow tracking or not? Or I don't know, do you remember exactly what that said? Do you, do you want your data harvested without yeah. your consent or something? <laughs> I mean, basically it, it, people said no, like a majority yeah. of people said no. Yeah. And that had an impact on Facebook to the tune of millions and millions of dollars. And yeah. so they fear that same kind of thing could happen here but it's apparently from, from reading the article going to make it very easy and quick. And it's not going to have to be, you go hunt for it. It's going to have to pop up and you just like Apple did basically on the iPhone, you know, is it okay to have personalized ad content? And then people are going to be able to say yes or no. So this is going to impact Facebook and Instagram users in Europe uh, this fall. But again, and we've said this before, kind of beating a drum, we really need privacy law in the United States. We do not have basically any kind of protections. We don't have this article in this week's show, but you know, the NSA is petitioning to be allowed officially. They, can, they probably do whatever they want, but, <clears throat> and I think the NSA and our you know, intelligence agencies are important, but they are trying to get formal permission to go ahead and buy you know, like meta geolocation information and, and data about U.S. citizens. And so um, this data is really valuable and it's valuable to a lot of folks and it's for sale on the on the open market. But, um, you know, how much of it, you know, you don't realize or you're, you don't have a choice because, oh, this is my, you know, 48 page, you know, iTunes agreement or, or whatever. So thoughts on yeah. that one? Um. Uh, well, I, I should say I love what Apple does, right? Like I, I, I think this has been a really important movement forward. And one of the reasons why I am interested um, in Apple taking on a, a generative AI tool is that I feel like that I'm going to know better where my data is going. Now, that said, um, I don't think that uh, uh, ChatGPT, for example, I'm, I'm reasonably certain, especially if you know how to, to tweak the, the, the various settings there, it's not taking your data and doing anything with it. You're not posting anything on the web when you enter it in ChatGPT. Um, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I've, I've read through uh, articles. I've looked at, at their policies and assuming they're not lying. And to be honest with you, I, I, I trust most of the chat or the open AI people. I feel like they're trying to build, do the right thing. They're trying to build the right set of tools. Um, but, uh, you know, I, when I was in Europe a couple weeks back, um, I noticed something pretty extraordinary, which is the second you get there, first of all, several of my apps stopped working in Europe because of, of privacy. Um, so I couldn't log into a couple of my um, uh, food apps, for example, um, that it just said, you know, due to privacy, you can download this one locally um, that's a different kind of app, but, uh, sorry. You can't. Even though you already had it downloaded, it didn't yeah. work. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's because, well, wow. it's, yeah, that they, they prefer you use the localized version. And then I looked it up and it was due to privacy policies, right. That it was built completely built from the ground up in a different way. But every website I went to gave me 
the choice of deciding whether or not I want to share cookies or not. And usually it took two clicks or less to say, no, I don't want you storing cookies on my browser. And that happens sometimes with the, with the United States because a, a, a lot of, of, especially if you go to a European website, it does. It also happens a lot of, of, of folks that were uh, uh, minding the European regulations, you kept it on for Americans too. But then also some websites in the United States just don't work in Europe. And it says because of the general data protection rules, right? That because of uh, 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 local rules, we are unable to serve you the site. Uh, sorry. We've got four live folks in our chat room. And I actually did share tonight in Blue Sky and Threads, which I might not have done previously. But hey, if you're live in our chat and would be willing to at least tell us where you're at, or you can say, hi, I uh, got a question, please feel free. We've got the uh, StreamYard chat interface here that can let us see both comments and Facebook as well as YouTube. I've got one more um, tech correction, one uh, to throw at you, Jason, and then we can jump into the AI rabbit hole. Uh, wow, this is an op-ed uh, in the New York Times from July 27th by Lindsey Graham and Elizabeth Warren, and it's called, When It Comes to Big Tech, enough is enough. And so the link that I'm putting into the chat is a gift link as we tend to do with <clears throat> all of our New York Times articles. And wow, we talk about the tech correction. Here we have a bipartisan from a Democrat and a Republican bill. But unfortunately, <laughs> I think this one is misguided in some really basic ways. As I said earlier, I personally think we really need some privacy law in the United States. And that is part of the motivation but as I read this, this op-ed, and I have not read the entire text of the bill, which is called the Digital Consumer Protection Commission Act, uh, here's a quote from it. Our Digital Consumer uh, Protection Commission Act would create an independent bipartisan regulator charged with licensing and policing the nation's biggest tech companies like Meta, Google, and Amazon to prevent online harm, promote free speech and competition, guard Americans' privacy, and protect national security. The new watchdog would focus on the unique threats posed by tech giants while strengthening the tools available to the federal agencies and state attorneys general who have authority to regulate big tech. Now, I am not able to share an exhaustive, you know, counter policy here on what we should do, but I think that we have existing regulatory bodies um, and one of the biggest issues, and this has been highlighted, uh, was highlighted on the Twit podcast on Sunday, is that basically this would require licensing to be a social media company or to have a platform. And so that would be a really big difference. And there's, yes, bipartisan support for this, but some of this support is coming from folks that really want to, um, you know, significantly impede not only free speech, but the ways that companies are able to, um, you know, uh, set, set themselves up as, as platforms for information exchange today. So there are folks that say this is, this is very unconstitutional. I, not having given you a lot of, you know, preview for this, I'm not sure if you'd seen this before, but I thought this was a hugely significant article because we talk about, I mean, we're now shifted into almost the AI show, which those of you that are, there's anybody new to the show where we haven't done that a lot today, but we were kind of the tech correction show for a long time, you know, getting, getting focused on big tech and regulation and the, the backlash that we're going to have to big tech. So this is an example of specific legislation that's been proposed, but I don't know that it's, I don't think that it's legislation that I personally am going to be able to fully get behind. 
Well, what I would say is there is bipartisan support for doing something about this, right? Then I think that's a good sign that we may actually get some movement on this, right? And and I'm going to recommend maybe this is a good time to parlay into our uh, you know all AI all the time part of the show, but. Um, one of the, the podcasts I listened to, um, and, and by the way, we've recommended a couple of times, but Hard Fork is is now part of my weekly listening now. It's just such a really well done podcast. The spirit of journalism uh, is very much at the core of, of everything they do there. But in particular, um, they were talking to, and I have a link in the show, um, uh, uh, or the show notes, um, and it, it basically the title of the episode is... Um, the CEO uh, and I, I, I uh, Dario Modi, I think is his name. He's the CEO of Anthropic and all the paradoxes of AI safety and Netflix deepfake love, uh, which is another thing we should maybe talk about for a moment too. But the um, it, they they talk about regulation a little bit, and the the thing that I've really become almost very charmed by. Um, in regards to Anthropic Story, is they're a company that that's made up of a number of former um, open eye, open AI uh, engineers that left because they didn't feel like there was enough uh, safety um, uh, procedure going into uh, the development of ChatGPT. And one of the things that they, uh, I don't know if they came up with it or it's just the foundation of their development, they, they do a lot of work in something called constitutional AI. And constitutional AI is the AI that's built around a set of non-negotiables. So in other words, it's a set of rules that um, uh, uh, AI uh, uh, models uh, will have to follow based on what is, is determined in that constitution. And they have a large document they've been working on that is a set of those rules. And uh, some of it borrows from the work that, that OpenAI is, is doing, some of it's working, or some of it is the some of the guardrails that, that BARS put in over Google. And you know there are dozens of large language models now that, that all um, kind of work in the same broad, basic uh, sets of ways, but I think constitutional AI could be a way we could see this in education. Imagine for a moment an AI tool where it not only had a strong constitution for privacy and safety purposes, so it's shot through that prism, but we also determine by school policy or teacher and administrator discussion, you know, what can this model do, right? Well, the AI model that our school uses doesn't just produce papers for students. Right. It can be used as a, a brainstorming tool, as an editing tool. It can do all the things that I think we hope that we'll be able to provide. But that mod, but it's not it's it's not uh, built to write things or do it for you. In other words, that it, it prioritizes the learning component, not just the amazing tool part of that process. And it's the first time listening to um, um uh, the Anthropic CEO that I felt like we may have a way to create some, some, some educational specific AI tools that are really uh, developed around learning, right? Like it's not just, it can do everything. It's not the everything tool. Instead, it is the everything tool, but it's really built to help you develop more skills in writing or building your argument or doing research or becoming um, a, a chat buddy to, 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 to go through ideas or you know, help brainstorm or all those pieces that I think could be very useful for students and, 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 um, and, and adults too, for that matter. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. You know, we've talked on the show, Jason and I are both former debaters. Like, 
you're going to we're I think we're going to need to become in in certain contexts more performative in our assessments. In other words, not just saying, hey, give me a paper, but we're going to need to have some kind of live presentation, some kind of of interaction uh, debate um, that's going to have a live element. And, you know, it's sort of like an open note test or an open note. It's like an open note debate round. Right. Bring the resources that you want. You're going to need to use them to accomplish your objective, which may be to persuade an audience or, you know, you know, present something, give an informative uh, presentation. I wonder at the Air Force Academy, we had uh, the common graded review time. And yes, we have an honor code and it's, you know, probably the most um, strong honor code, I guess, in the country because it has a toleration clause. And if you're aware of someone who's broken the honor code and you don't, you know, turn them in, you tolerate them, then you can actually be kicked out as well. And it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty challenging. But anyway, we, even though we had that and everyone's following the honor code, it was, it was easier to give an examination for everyone in Calc 2 at the same time in the morning. I wonder if we could have assessment rooms at some point in school where you're going to show up maybe with a partner and your team or maybe with others that you're going to, to, to you know, debate or engage in something. But basically then that exchange, whatever you're going to do, bring all your notes, bring all your preparation, but you're going to need to uh, you know, orally communicate whatever it is your goal. And then that is going to be recorded. And then perhaps all of that recording is going to be transcribed. You know, I'm, I'm not saying all assessment is going to become a debate round, but I don't know. I'm just thinking about how different tools might be involved because we're going to need to devise assessments that can't that can't be faked, right? How are you? How do you get inside the mind of learners? How do you see where they were at the beginning of your class and now and at the end? What have they learned and how are you going to assess that? I think this is all going to be very challenging. So anyway, that's just a thought that I have with that. But I'm I'm excited. My geek of the week is actually a hard fork as well. But that's the anthrop the um, that interview with the anthropic CEO. That's from the 21st. And I'm excited to listen to that one because I had I had skipped it. And I totally uh, second your motion there. Um, Hard Fork has become a regular listen for me. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, really, really well done and entertaining, even though it maintains its kind of journalistic uh, foundations, but I think it's great too. Awesome. All right, I will well, stop forcing you to talk about the tech correction. Do you want to? Yeah, okay. Well, so I do. I, I do want to pick up on a topic from last week, and it's a good it, it's a good segue to see if there's any big picture AI stuff we want to talk about this week, but um, I've been using Claude 2, which is Anthropic's uh, um, generative AI model, and it's currently available for free. They are talking about charging uh, at some point for the model. I don't know if it'll be kind of a freemium-style model like ChatGPT uses, which is you can get an older version for free, and the newer version will cost you money, uh, which, by the way, full disclosure, I'm paying for because I, I use it enough that that's worth it to me uh, if for experimentation purposes. But... Uh, um, they were talking about a similar level, about 25 bucks a month to pick up the um, uh, advanced or the pay for version of Claude AI, but it, nothing's been announced yet. It's just surveys at this point to talk about it. But uh, Claude uh, AI is a very similar model to ChatGPT in that you go to um, the, the website and you know you log in with your Google account and then it's just a... Um, uh, it's just a, a, a chat 
uh, like bot, right? The difference is, though, is with Claude, you can attach documents to it, um, including up to 10 megabyte PDFs, and you can include multiple documents uh, in, in it, and it includes including photos, uh, although it's photo analysis. Uh, isn't quite there yet, but um, a transcript uh, of a, a video, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I think that would. I think that might work. I mean, it's, it's smaller. It's 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 smaller files for right now, right? But it's so, text. It's you said ten megs. You can get a lot of text in ten. Oh megs. yeah, I'm sorry. A transcript. Yeah, that's no, that's exactly what you can do actually. Um, and so um, you know, some examples of how I have used it in the last week or so that have kind of blown my mind. Um, the first one is that I now have a. Um, I now have a document that contains about 25 pages of my writing, and um, um, I, when I wanted to write something, I start with that and ask it to write in my style. Um, and so, and it does a pretty good job of, of creating my style. And ChatGPT does this, Bing does this. What do you upload for your style again? What's the document? Um, I have a document that has about 25 pages of my writing in it. Okay. And, I, and, I, and that's I your your representative writing sample, right? Yeah. And the idea is is that, um, um, and the way I say this is, uh, uh, I have a document. It's like I need your help writing, but I want to sound like my writing style. I'm going to share sample my writing with you i like you to, to read it for style and tone and tell me if you're ready to write um in my style at a prompt here's my writing and then i copy and paste that document uh in um and uh you can you can paste an awful lot of stuff in claude right? and this is this is why it is impossible today and it will be impossible this school year to definitively say whether yeah. or not a student used um, I, well, I, I'm going to say in most cases, we had a case about for our honor council, I think last year where there was a, there was a hallucinated character in the, the book review, which was mm -hmm. like, okay, where, you know, where did this person come from? They're not really in the book. And I, you know, I don't know. I didn't know if I'd shared that story before. So, I mean, there's, there's going to be some egregious things where it's yeah. like, okay, clearly, but, but if a student is, let's say moderately savvy, what yeah. you're describing, Jason, is absolutely, well, and you're going to be able to do something too, like write this on an eighth grade writing level or reading yeah. level or whatever, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not like everything it's going to be spit out of these models is going to be graduate level, you know, academia prose. Um, yeah. And that being able to customize it to your writing style is phenomenal. So, wow. Yeah. And that's kind of where I am a little blown away by, um, by how this process is, is working is because that that works and, and by the way when, and again this is all experiments right now um i, I in part because um uh <laughs> um the um well I, i've learned my lesson a couple of times where i don't want to use it in a professional context right and i for me it's been more of a, an analysis tool more than anything else I don't, i'm not having generate things but I, I do think this is pretty funny um, it, it does evaluate my writing style. Thank you for sharing those writing samples. I reviewed them and I have a good feel uh, or good sense of your typical writing tone style. Some aspects I noted. You tend to write informally using contractions and conversational language. You explain concepts clearly providing context and examples. In, in the AI article, you give a background chat GPT and examples of how to be used in education. You often use numbered lists or bullet points to break up long passages and call it important details. Your tone is enthusiastic yet measured. You get excited about new technologies, but also point out the pitfalls, which, by the way, is kind of Jason Knifer 101. Um, you make frequent popular culture references. 
uh, adding a fun, lighthearted element, and you use screenshots and images embedded in the text to illustrate key points. Um, and so it wrote something for me um, that, I mean, was a little more tongue-in-cheek than I probably would have been in the same scenario, but you can always, you know, ask it to do it again, right? So uh, and then it, it does it all over again. But, um, and then I, I will tell you one other experiment. It took me a while to figure this out, um, uh, but it, it blew me away. So I'm not going to mention which book it is uh, just because um, I, you know, I think I violated this, this poor author's copyright uh, to do this, but I have a PDF of a book I like about learning science. And so I, it, it, the maximum is 10 megabytes. And the hardest part of this process was getting enough pages cut from the book that was 10 megabytes or less. So I used all the squeeze tools and I used the uh, Adobe version of squeeze tools did, I used online. Did, did you flatten with preview on their Mac? Because well, that's, the, that's actually for me been an amazingly effective way to flatten. Well, the problem with flattening is that then you have to OCR it, otherwise it can't read it. Oh. Right? So I think this one happened to be OCR'd um, in the end, but I finally got it to 9.7 megabytes and I uploaded it. And I said, and I, I had a really interesting conversation with Claude. Claude and I were, were kicking it together. And basically I started off saying, you know, can you, can you read this basically? Or can you, can you read this book? He said, well, no, right. I don't read things, but, but I can look at it fast enough that I can answer your questions based on it. Can you ingest this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it essentially said, nope, that's, that's just not, uh, the way I do things, but here's how I would do it. Right. So, okay. Um, kind of crazy, but okay. And then I said, okay, so based on this book, then write a lesson in the style of what this author suggesting should be lesson design. What? It nailed it. What? I asked for a topic that the topic I've been using lately for testing is, um, on both writing and, and, and content development is the causes of World War I, right? Something I know a lot about. Um, I still have my uh, very vast collection of, of lecture notes from that, something I, I know a lot about, so I can I spot that pretty easily, write a lot of books on it, um, and, and studied it. Uh, that was my content area in college, um, was European history. So uh, I know this really well, and it wrote a pretty smart and clever lesson it was, it, it didn't provide all the materials for it. It would have required me to, you know, research some materials to make it happen, but it was a pretty good approximation about what this author was arguing for. And so, I, wow, right? Like to the point of which you can say, you know, I don't want you to generate something. I want you to generate something based on these three texts, right? And then that, that is, that, that's insane to me, so... Really quick, I'll just say I had some discouraging experiences with ChatGPT 4 and 3.5 today working to summarize the transcripts from our shows and publishing them. I ended up uh, not using the tools I've used lately, and when I publish those on EdTechSR, I, I cite what they are, uh, and I use the summarize.tech. But I'm excited to use Claude, and especially the fact that you can upload a PDF. I think that's that's pretty exciting. Okay, do you know about... The orb of Sam Altman and WorldCoin. 
saw some headlines, but I was terrified to read. So please, Wes, enlighten me. All right. So there's a there's a few articles that we've got, you know, officially six six minutes. So Forbes uh, from um, July 24th. What is WorldCoin? Here's what to know about the eyeball scanning crypto project launched by OpenAI's Sam Altman. This is actually just, I don't have this article, but it's just been blocked in Kenya because of privacy concerns. Sam and others believe that there is a potential for huge job displacement. In fact, some people are thinking like maybe 50% of jobs might be displaced in the not too distant future by AI. And if this scenario happens, it's going to be essential that governments engage in UBI, which is universal basic income money transfers. And so that basically everyone's going to be able to get money. If you are doing that, you're really going to have to verify, you know, individuals because of course there's corruption with any government system. And so what Sam Altman and OpenAI have done is they've created this thing that looks like science fiction is an orb. And what you do is you, you stare into the orb. This is not available in the United States. It's available in other countries now, <clears throat> but it basically does a retinal and facial scan to create like a fingerprint um, it's actually, uh, what's that What's that called? Is it a hash? Um, so it creates this digital identity and WorldCoin is the cryptocurrency that it's created. And I think you basically get enough to order two pizzas or something. Uh, but it, the idea is let's preemptively get a biometric, uncircumventable and, and hackable way of identifying everybody with a retinal and facial scan so that in the, the drama of needing to implement UBI, money transfers from governments will be able to do this. It sounds like it's something right out of a science fiction film, yet it's happening today. You ready to sign up, get scanned? Uh, well, I mean, you did you did tease me with free pizza, so I guess there's there's that going for it. Um, yeah, I mean, that does sound pretty science fiction-y, but I guess the other thing I would say is that look at the headlines. I mean, we're we're living in a science 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 fiction science fiction. Now I'm just making up words. Uh, science fiction forward times. So yep yep yep. Here's another one, real quick. Uh, the writer strike. Uh, Maybe aware that there's a writer strike going on in Hollywood. Did you know the impact is? Well, it's a lot about AI. Uh, this is yeah. an article from the write up, or so sorry from the markup. On July 29th, uh, the writer's strike is over AI is bigger than Hollywood. Basically, especially if you are a extra, Hollywood has been making you sign these contracts which say we're going to scan your you in all possible ways and you're going to sign over all rights so we can do whatever we want to with your image. And the fear is that they're no longer going to need to hire any extras. And so this is kind of a classic management and labor argument over rights and who should be paid. But I had not realized that this has so much to do with AI. So pretty fascinating. Yeah. Well, and I've been, um, I follow a great writer on TikTok. His name is Michael Jammon. I think he's literally Michael Jammon writer on TikTok. And he does a lot of stuff on, on kind of breaking into the business and stuff. It's, it's really good, very thoughtful, but he's talked a lot about this AI stuff. And, um, I mean, the bottom line is that, you know, the the studios are already uh, deep in plans to try to figure out a way to get rid of a lot of the creative process and the players in the space. 
so that they can, you know, create create content to release uh, that costs vastly less and then continue to charge premium prices uh, for profit profit purposes. And I think the extras is a really good example of that conversation um, because, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I can see certainly, um, you know, there's plenty of films that have, a, uh, that have uh, uh, CGI generated stuff. On Lord, it, right? Lord of the Rings, the battle scenes. Yeah. I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and 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 including audiences. I think I remember uh, seeing something about um, how they uh, generated audiences for the Ted Lasso um, show on Apple TV Plus uh, was one of the ways they did that. Uh, you know, but if you're if you're upfront about that, that's fine. And in a lot of cases, they do still have to hire extras because the technology is good, not great. And um, I think that you know, at what point do you know the the estates of you know, celebrities where we can scan in voices and um, um, uh, images and recreate what is pretty darn close to that person. You know, uh, if I suppose if we want to insert Humphrey Bogart into every modern movie, we could do that if we wanted to. But it just seems like that's a bad news for our culture uh, is, is one of the ways that, that, that I would determine that. So there are a bunch of other articles I'd love to talk about. So we're just going to have to move them up to next week yeah. because we've actually uh, come up to the top of the hour. Is there any article you'd love to just mention briefly before we geek of the week? And, and yeah, that? just a related one. Uh, there was a very, very, very entertaining article. Um, uh, now I need to find it. Where are you at? Um, it is about Netflix. Oh, it's from Newsweek on Monday. And somehow I called July Killi. Um uh, Netflix pulls an AI content creation job after backlash. And uh, Newsweek reported that um, <laughs> they uh, I, last week had uh, posted a job for what is essentially a uh, somewhat knowledgeable in AI uh, in order to, for content creation, right? They wanted to start the exploration of creating content with AI. And the, the posted salary for the job, uh, the higher end of it was $900,000 a year. So people lost their business uh, about this because they were like, well, see, this is what's happening, right? That we're not going to have any writers. We're just going to ingest, you know, all sitcoms in history and put together an amazingly formulaic sitcom that's genetically engineered to have you giggle mindlessly um, and we lose the creative process. And that is happening, by the way. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. I'm going to do one more fast one because I can do it super quick. Ars Technica yeah. yesterday. Canon warns printer users to manually wipe Wi-Fi settings before discarding. Now, uh, I don't have a Canon printer, do I? No, I have an HP. Um, even if you do a hard reset, your Wi-Fi and network credentials are still in the system. And so I don't, it's article does not say if this affects other printers besides Canon's, but I had never thought about that before. And some of the commenters suggested just taking a sledgehammer to your Canon printer um, because that might have the same result, but be careful out there, folks, your printer may be giving up your Wi-Fi network and the hacker that wants to claim your identity is going to, you know, plug it in and <laughs> get your Wi-Fi credentials. Yep. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Do you have a geek of the week, sir? Um, I do. I would like to share a really great article from Lifehacker. Um, and like, this was on the 28th of, I'm sorry, 29th of July. Uh, it links to a, an internet archive page um, at archive.org that has 6,000 
Lego, I'm sorry, 6,800 Lego instructions. So they've been um, collecting Lego instructions. So if you're the family that doesn't have, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the kits, you know, carefully organized, ready to go to build, but instead you have just buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets of Legos, which by the way, the second way is definitely the way to do it. Um, then you can download these um, uh, uh, instructions and build all sorts of things with your huge, massive tub of Legos at home. All right. And to continue our love fest of Hard Fork, my Geek of the Week, is, yours was actually the July 21st episode with the Anthropic CEO. Mine is the July 28th episode, and it is the segment that starts at the 40-minute mark. I've given you the exact link that will take you there, courtesy of Pocket Cast. And it is with the Google Robotics Lab. And I'm not teaching robotics this year, but any, I, I am teaching coding and I'll probably still do this as a wonder link. But the connection and the ways in which the roboticists feel like they're going to be having huge moves forward because they're going to bring these large language models to what they've been working on with robotics is pretty, pretty exciting. So I would encourage everyone to check that out. Where can we find you, Dr. Neifer, when you are not here uh, illuminating us about the uh, need to prepare for the, the dystopian, um, you know, AI overlords that are coming. Well, best place to find me right now is over at X, uh, Twitter, whatever the heck they're calling it. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that yeah. too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, X. So what about you, sir? Just go to westfriar.com slash after, and there's a lot of links where you can follow me. So this has been the EdTech Situation Room, episode 300. Shout out to Eric Langhorst, who was in our chat earlier, giving us some congrats and props. Thanks to Eric for his role in the formative days uh, of our EdTech Situation Room. I think my dad's out there, and Peggy uh, may be out there. Whoever's there, hello. Thank you for coming. You can always check out um, our show, not only uh, as it's archived immediately on YouTube and Facebook, but you can find links at edtechsr.com. Uh, we are usually a few weeks behind, but I say we, that'd be me. Um, but we do post small 32 kilobit versions, about download of about 14 megs for our hour-long shows that you can download to your favorite podcatcher application, uh, whatever that might be. It's Pocket Cast for, for Jason and I, but you can find us wherever finer podcasts are curated. All of our links are available at edtechsr.com slash links. We are here live on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m., uh, Eastern and whatever else that correlates to across the time zones. Uh, and if you can join us live, we would encourage you to do so. We will be talking about some of those articles that we did not get to today. But if you'd like to get those, in addition to the Google Doc, you can subscribe to our Substack and you can get an email blasted out that has not only the links we talked about, but the ones that we did. So until next time, stay savvy, stay safe, and remember to play with AI and some play with Claude. I haven't ever said that at the end of the show. Go play with Claude, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>